in a world searching for answers. God's truth is vital. The Devoted Podcast seeks to answer these questions from God's Word as they share the gospel one listener at a time. Thank you for joining us today. Here are your hosts, Caleb Shaner and Pastor Ben Heffernan. Hello, welcome back. Uh, We are your hosts, Caleb Shaner and Pastor Ben Heffernan, and we are excited uh, to be back in God's Word with you, uh, folks. Um, We are going to be in the book of Matthew again, and we've been going through the journey through the book of Matthew series, and it's been good. Um, You know, from start all the way up to this point, from chapter 1 to chapter uh, 17 that we're going to be doing today, it's just good to see how God just transforms his word and transforms our hearts um, into uh, his likeness. And so it's just really neat and special uh, time in God's word in this Bible study. And uh, I just wanted to quickly read uh, Psalms 34, 8. And it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And so as we got, dive into God's word, uh, we're going to taste and see of God's goodness in our lives and in his word. And, you know, I, I kind of, I like the illustration of a piece of uh, cake or a, a food that you like to indulge in. You know, you know, it's going to be good. It sits in front of you mm-hmm. and you know that that piece of cake or that cookie is going to be just divine when you bite into it, but you will never know until you grab it and you take a bite and then you'll taste how good it is. And that's just like God's word. If you just let it sit there in front of you and you never open it up, you'll never know. You'll never get to indulge in God's goodness and let it transform your life until you open it and you indulge in his word and let it transform you. Mm. Speaking of transformation, this yeah. part of scripture, chapter 17 of Matthew, uh, we're going to be looking at the Mount of Transfiguration. So, um, Pastor, what are we going to be seeing in this chapter looking well, maybe we be seeing the glory of God, I think, in terms of this as we uh, look at Jesus coming up on the mountain and uh, this aspect of his face becoming white as the sun and his raiment was as white as the light. And in this aspect, there's a lot going on that if you have to know um, the context of Scripture, the Old Testament, as well as the New, to see some of the full implications of what's going on. But Moses reflected the glory of God when he went up into the mountain uh, and he came down, his face was a glow, but that was a reflection of God's glory. But we find here that Jesus is revealing the glory that he eternally shares with the Father. And so what we're seeing here is the, the glory of God shining out through this person. This man is a divine. And so it's a very beautiful aspect here. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by the fact that when God pictures his glory, he does it through light and the shining. And, and that was something that was always a um, contemplation of, of the old um, Puritan divines where they would think about this aspect of God uh, shining his light, his, all of his perfection, his glory being encapsulated in this phenomenon that we can see. And so when we look at the glory of God, it's in some sense with light, you know, all the colors are there, but you need something to kind of refract it and to, sh- and to kind of show it to us 
And so the aspect of the glory of God is really just the, the, the panoply of all of his perfections, his excellencies. And so when we think about the glory of God, what's shining out to us? It means that Jesus Christ is, is the holy God. He's the God of love. He's the God of power. He's the God of goodness and wisdom, faithfulness, and justice, and mercy. And all that is true and glorious about God is true about Jesus Christ. And that's what's shining through him. And so we see, first of all, the nature of who he is. But I think another aspect of it is, it is the glory of the resurrection. He tells them in verse 9, tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. So again, you've just seen something glorious and wonderful, and you're told not to tell anybody about it, but not indefinitely, but till he rises from the dead. So there's an understanding that you will not truly understand uh, the glory of Jesus Christ until you understand the mission of Jesus Christ. Not until after he's died and then rose again is there an aspect to which they're going to truly be able to proclaim who he is and, and what he has done for people. And so when we come to the aspect, you say, well, what is the glory? Uh, this, when he, this glory is a picture of the glory of his resurrection when he comes forth from the tomb. And when you look at this story in light of the old covenant, we see the glory of the new covenant. The old covenant was Moses. He, he went up into Mount Sinai. And so there's lots of things in the story that remind us of that time. I think intentionally, the high mountain, the six days before they go up into it, uh, Moses present, the glory of God, a cloud covering them, and then the voice that comes from the cloud. And you see this in Exodus 24, 16, where it says, And the glory of the Lord abode upon the Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days and the seventh day he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So all these things just kind of wrapped together in the Exodus story. And so we see Moses is present there. And so this was the old covenant. The new covenant is, is moving things forward. And so you see not only Moses, but Elijah was there. And he was this, he went to the same mountain. He went to Mount Sinai. And uh, that was the place where the rocks rent and the fire fell and, and there's a the thunder and God was not in those, but he smoke, spoke in a still small voice. And so again, pointing forward to the beauty of the new covenant and the new age. And uh, so as we come to this aspect, um, you know, it's this, the resurrection glory is the, res, is the glory of the new covenant the new age in which we are transformed. And in fact, the Bible uses this, and we can talk about this, that the two times in the scripture where the word transformed is or transfigured is used, it's, it's used elsewhere of believers as we are changed. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be not, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And then uh, we are changed from one glory to the next in terms of that in um, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter three, I believe it is. Um, so, so there's a real application for us. And then we've been looking at that. This is the glory, not only of the son of God, and this is the glory of the new covenant that Jesus brings, but it's also the glory of the kingdom. We didn't really cover last time, the very last verse of chapter 16, but it says, there be some standing here, which shall not taste death till they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. And he said, they're going to see it. 
And so he's giving them a preview of his kingdom glory and is showing forth the king, the son of man who is the king. He's going to return the Daniel figure who comes back to receive a kingdom and rule the saints, rule and reign forever from Daniel chapter 7. And so there's an aspect to which Elijah was a sign of the end, that there Elijah had to come before the great Messiah. And so Elijah's there. He's present. And he says, um, uh Peter said, let's build three tabernacles. And uh, why build tabernacles? I think there's an aspect that tabernacles was the feast that celebrated the joy of the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so I think there's an understanding that they were seeing something in relationship to the kingdom. And then I'll just focus here on one more part on the transfiguration part where he says, um, the, Jesus, God comes, he, he makes this blunder and says, let's honor <laughs> Moses and Elijah with the same glory of the Son of Man. And uh, the, 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 the verse in verse 5, it says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And if we take in context, what was the thing that he had just commanded them? He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He's saying this call of Jesus is, is a call to surrender and sacrifice for the kingdom of God. It's taking up a cross and, some, and the following Jesus Christ because he, that's exactly what he is going to do. And so I think this, again, helps to provide an assurance to the Son that he's, he's saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to, he's revealed to them in chapter seven, 16 that he's going to be killed. And he hears the very same words quoted to him that he had heard at the beginning of his ministry. This is my beloved son. This because it's not, sometimes we think that we are loved by God until something bad happens. <laughs> and then we know, oh, God doesn't love me right now. When reality is it wasn't that Jesus was beloved in spite of his rejection, being killed. It was because he was willing to go that, because he was faithful unto death. And God was reassuring him. And uh, I think his commitment, and we ought to have the same commitment as well, to, to listen to the Son and follow him, because that's what he's calling us to do. So transfiguration, beautiful. Yeah. And, I mean, that's really what the word kind of means is beautiful. You know, it has it carries that uh, a definition is uh, transfiguration, a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. Mm. And you look here, and, and the Bible describes it how Jesus <clears throat> was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it goes. Let's see here. We'll just start in uh, uh, verse number two of seventeen. It says, "And was transfigured before them." And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. I mean, I can't imagine just how beautiful Jesus appeared in that moment. Hmm. Just how bright hmm. and just glorious he was, and just his glory shone on himself. Hmm. Just, I mean, only three of them got to see that, disciples. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, it would probably be just indescribable hmm. just to them just being standing there and just seeing Jesus transform into his glorious state. And you're just, wow, <laughs> just a taste of that, what they would see in heaven. Mm. And, um, you know, and God even and had it written down for us to be able to be a part of that. 
that time just to read it and just to think about how glorious he is. His face shone like the sun. You can't look at the sun too long. Otherwise, you, you, know, you can hurt your eyes, you know. And then your clothes, you know, we, I, I've never seen anything so white and vibrant that we, would reflect light like that, mm -hmm. you know, in that state here on earth. But I'm sure it's just amazing in heaven. And, and you go to Revelation and it talks about him and how he shines and how he's radiant. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it just, there's, there's some ties there mm -hmm. in scripture. And that's just amazing to yeah. see how, but not only that, but we are to be transformed. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus wants us to be transformed. Yeah. And no, we're not going to be transformed in that <laughs> heavenly state until we reach heaven. Mm -hmm. And, but spiritually we can have our lives changed from the dirty, gritty ways of the world, our sin, nature, not knowing God. And then we accept him into our heart and we are then transformed into his likeness. And it's amazing. You know, we're, we're all designed by God in the womb, whether you want to accept it or not, we are. And God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. But he ultimately wants us to be transformed into his image, mm -hmm. to look just like him, to be like him. Mm -hmm. And so beautiful. that's what this part of scripture to me just kind of pull. I'm just pulling out of that. You know, mm -hmm. um, another part was the, the disciples that were with him um, in verse number six. And when the disciples heard it, uh, they fell on their face and were so afraid. So when mm -hmm. just to kind of backtrack a little bit, so we have a little context in verse number five, at the end, it says, this is um, a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear he him. Uh, we've heard that before. <laughs> I think in chapter number three, I'm correct. Mm -hmm. Whenever Jesus got baptized, yeah. God, the father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm -hmm. God, the father said it again. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Mm -hmm. I mean, that relationship that he had with the father mm -hmm. and the love that he had with the father mm -hmm. and the love that he wants to have with us. It's so beautiful. But yeah, we can get so intimidated by that. Mm -hmm. Just like the disciples, when they heard that voice, they, they hit the deck, mm -hmm. you know, and they were sore afraid and Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and be not afraid. Hmm. So there's, there's, there's two different fears. There was a fear there. And it wasn't, to me, it wasn't like a reverent fear. You know, I'm going to fall now. And, you know, I'm sure there was that part of that aspect in there too. But it was more of, you know, somebody in, the, in a dark room, you can't see them. You know, they were in that cloud, came and ascended around them. So it's like a fog. You know, they couldn't see. And there's this voice, a booming, thundering voice. And they got scared. And Jesus touched him and said, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. my father. Mm -hmm. And so it's just that, that relationship and just that, that peace that we can have, knowing that God is in the midst of those times that we may not be able to see. Mm -hmm. But yet he's there. Mm -hmm. And he wants to have that relationship with us yeah. uh, in that transforming moment. Mm -hmm. of spiritual walk. Yeah, I'm glad the way you brought that out. That's really good because – we really would be afraid in the face of God apart from a mediator in mm -hmm. Jesus Christ and that he can give us that assurance. That's really, that's really neat. Oh my, well, we kind of follow these disciples. They're kind of blundering along. And, uh, and sometimes we, we get to see this beauty of Jesus, but also the misunderstandings and how they fail. And it becomes kind of a foil in some sense against their failure. Um, 
not only did Peter try to honor Moses and Elijah equally with Jesus, which was not the Father's will, but they they show that they do not understand. Um, they're asking Jesus the question, but they're asking, why then say that the scribes and Elias must first come? Now, we're not sure exactly if the scribes were rejecting Jesus on the basis that they're saying, well, Elijah hasn't come yet, so therefore Jesus can't be the Messiah, or that's part of their teaching, which comes out of Malachi. Um, and so some of the questions say, why would the disciples raise this question at this point? But he's just talked about the resurrection from the dead, the Son of Man be risen from the dead. They may not have, they, Mark tells us they didn't understand what he was talking about, but they wanted to know, you know, what's um, this connection here. And there's an aspect that he goes on to tell them and says, Elias or Elijah truly shall come first and restore all things. And from the perspective of what Jesus is saying, we know it's Eli John the Baptist is following in the footsteps of Elijah, and he was calling men to restoration with God through repentance. And I think what's really fascinating comes in verse 12, where it says that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall the Son of Man suffer of them. And so we get this understanding that Jesus is teaching that, yes, it was a suffering Elijah that came. John the Baptist was killed. But a suffering Elijah was going to precede a suffering Messiah. And so just as Elijah had died, so he would die. And so they understood at least that point that he was speaking of them, of John the Baptist. And so it's kind of giving them a, it's giving that forewarning uh, to that death is coming. And so that's kind of part of what chapter 16 was revealing, chapter 17. Uh, not without the, the understanding of the resurrection, though. They completely uh, missed that part when we come to the end. Um, and so when they come down from the mount, I'm fascinated because just like when Moses came out of the mount in the Old Covenant, he came to the people of God and he found them sinning, failing, <laughs> flailing around. And here Jesus comes out of the mount transfigured and he comes down and his disciples are failing. They cannot cast out the demoniac. And yet we've seen earlier in Matthew that they've had power to do these things. So what was wrong? Um, and I think there's an aspect to which in some ways we can apply this as um, the son here represents those, the, the lunatic, those in need of deliverance from the bondage of the enemy. And the disciples represent those who are trying to meet their needs. And so I think when we put that within that framework, it becomes very important. Um, and so as we look towards the answer to this um, aspect, we find that they did the, the right thing. If we're going to lead people out of the bondage of sin, they brought him to Jesus. And so that was the first aspect. And it really is that simple. If we've got problems and we can't handle them, we've got to take them to the Lord because he is the solution. And uh, their, their problem ultimately is going to be found in their own unbelief. But uh, we we ought to expect opposition. You know, there's an aspect of we go out into the world just like Jesus came out. We talked about, you said, this is my beloved son, was heard him at the baptism. That was a great high point. He goes out into the wilderness yeah. and he finds G and Satan. He has to, to battle Satan and the temptation. Well, now he's had this great high point of hearing uh, the transfiguration word. Now they're down in the valley. <laughs> So we come off the mountain into the valley and we find satanic opposition. So we, we ought to expect that any time that we're taking a step forward for God, things aren't going to get better. Hmm. 
things are going to get worse. You think about <coughs> Moses delivering Israel out of Egypt. And he said, all right, Moses said, he went to Pharaoh, let my people go. And the first thing he does is turn around and beat them and take away their uh, straw and make things worse for them. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Mo, what's going on? Uh, I think so, that can happen to us. And it's really a, a test to say, am I really going to follow the Lord? Do I really believe him and trust him? Um, he asked them here a question. He says, um, how often does this happen? Um, and, and he, he, well, he didn't ask the question here. I'm sorry. Um, he just volunteers that information there in, in Matthew. And he says, but I think in, in Mark, he actually asked them that question. And he says, for oftentimes he's fallen into the fire, into the water. And uh, so he, there's an aspect of a great, um, you know, for, from his childhood, from his youth, this has taken place. We know from it. And so there's an aspect of compassion that Jesus uh, demonstrates towards him. And when he, when he identifies the, the problem, he, he points directly to their unbelief. And so there's an aspect that I think that many times the Lord would love to use us, but our focus is not upon him and trusting him. And when he says, well, they ask the question, why could we not cast him out? And he says, because of your unbelief. For if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you should say to this mountain, remove hence into a yonder place and it shall be removed. And nothing shall be impossible to you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. So I think this points to an element that there are certain things in life, certain challenges that require greater dedication to the Lord in terms of I really seek him with all my heart. And some, some things are answered with one prayer. And sometimes some things are answered with a lifetime of prayer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think God presents this to us to say, this is how he wants us to, to go into the valley facing satanic opposition. It's going to come. He's going to fight us. But we've got to do it trusting in the Lord. If we don't have our faith completely grounded in the Son of God, we are going to fall. And we're going to find, I, I find myself unusable. I'm, I'm, I don't produce any fruit unless I have faith in him. So I think that's part of what I understand from this passage. Mm. Wow. I like that. That's what you said there with the prayer. I mean, it's so true. You know, uh, in verse number 17, I, I read that. And I think about today, you know, didn't Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation. Hmm. You know, it, it's, when we get farther and farther away from God, hmm. it's when we start to feel comfortable in our sin. Hmm. And at that point, we have the ultimatum of either we turn from our sin and we get right, or we stay in our sin and God turns us over to a reprobate mind, hmm. uh, a seared conscience. Yeah. And today we're just, we're going, we're full speed. I mean, pedal to the metal, the wrong direction here in our country. Yeah. And I think this is a timely part of scripture for us to read because like you said, there's, there, there's a mountain in our way in this country hmm. and we put it there and there's trials and there's, and it's, and, God's correction, it's going to hurt. It's not there to feel good. It's there to bring us back to Him. And, 
you know, with this mountain in our way, you know, it, we have to pray for our country and, and not just a lackadaisical prayer, mm-hmm. not just, Lord, please bring revival to our country, please. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to like earnestly pray for our country. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to end up, mm-hmm. I mean, God's going to say, okay, <laughs> you have gone far enough yeah. and I'm going to stop this, mm-hmm. you know. And before we get to that point, you know, we, we have to pray. We have to seek his face. We have to uh, turn from our wicked ways. But, you know, and, and, in, and in this part, you know, he was talking to his disciples, <laughs> um, you know, and he said unto them, because of your unbelief, you know, they're, they're sitting there like, Jesus, we've been trying to cast out this demon out of this boy. We can't do it. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, well, because you're not believing it'll happen. You know, you're not, you know, uh, verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've looked at a grain of mustard seed, but that is tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it turns into something big, but I mean, it is tiny. Mm-hmm. And he just says, you just have to have that much faith. Mm-hmm. And man, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's times where you where you desire that. And you're like, I want to have that much faith. That mm-hmm. little seed of faith mm-hmm. would be great. And it just shows that where our faith, you know, where our faith is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you read books of men of old who have that faith. Did they constantly have that faith like that? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But it took time in God's word and it took trials to get that faith just to that little piece mm-hmm. that they can experience God in such a great way and see him work. And so that's what I'm kind of pulling out of this part of scripture as well is just Jesus is showing the disciples there's going to be, you can do great things for me if you have just this amount of faith. Mm. Just believe in me. That much is all it takes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and so. That's encouraging. <laughs> yeah, if uh, we've got to make sure that our, if you put a little bit of faith in the right place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how many times are we trying to change our own lives and, mm. or see God do something in someone else's life and we, we you know, how about our kids? You know, we're trying to change them. We're trying to fix them and doing all these things. And yet we're not living with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever we try to do something in our own power, the only way for him to get the glory is to let us fail. Hmm. And, uh, and then, then we can come back to him and, and seek to, to believe him and trust him. And I feel like prayer in this aspect is a great barometer because that lets me know Prayer is the indication of where my faith is at. And if I don't have prayer, I'm not putting my trust in Him. So mm. it's really important. But yes. Well, I guess the last thing that here after a second uh, reoccurrence of of telling him that he's going, predicting his death, uh, he goes on and they um, come to him and they want to see if he's going to pay taxes. And uh, Jesus tells them, "What think? What do you think, Simon? Um, do the kings of the earth take custom?" And he says of their of their children or of strangers, and they're like, well, yeah, they don't go to their children and say you have to pay taxes. So this was a temple tax, and so the question is, does Jesus have to pay the temple tax because he's the Son of God? And the question here is, he says, he says, notwithstanding, lest we offend them, go thou to the sea, cast a hook, and take the fish that first cometh up. And when thou open his mouth, you will find the place of money. So I think the interchange is just to inf- is to emphasize Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He doesn't need to pay. And yet God provides. And there's a lot of needs that we have, and God can provide those 
things. I think it's just kind of funny today because I took my son fishing and it was his first time. And um, today, this morning, and I was praying, Lord, just let him catch a fish. And uh, he caught one fish. And it was, he didn't even reel it in. He just felt it tug on his line and he just yanked and it flew out onto the bank. <laughs> and it was a real little small inky dinky little fish, but it, it was, it was cute. But the Lord knows how to provide whatever, whatever we have in our needs. And even he can use some, some crazy things to, even when it comes to taxes, he, he can supply our needs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those are <clears throat> fragile words there <laughs> taxes yeah <laughs> but i mean jesus even tells us to do that. i mean that's a biblical thing mm -hmm. it says render under caesar the things that are caesar's yes and re render under unto god the things that are god's mm -hmm. you know in that time i mean they paid taxes to the government mm -hmm. and they you know tithed back to the lord you know and many times we can kind of get in our little seats crossing around and go I ain't, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not comfortable, but that's what God tells us to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, as believers, if we're going to be a full example, we gotta, and that's a tangent, but <laughs> anyway. No, you're right. That's but, good. you know, and, and it's, yeah, I mean, we may not trust or even like the government at rule, but even the scripture even says God puts men up and brings down uh, others, you know, in, in leadership. So he'll 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 make sure that there's there's people in power and we may not like them, hmm. yeah. But it may be for a timely reason or a season of time mm -hmm. to show us that this is the wrong direction we're going. Mm -hmm. And so you know, and um, you know, with that, you know, Jesus. And I like how it ends, not with notwithstanding, lest we should have offend them. Okay, go thou to the sea and cast a hook. And take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou openest his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money, and take and give unto them for me and thee. Hmm. Uh, you know, Jesus, he paid the, the, the tax that needed to be paid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unconventionally to yeah. us, we, we look at that and we're like, wow, this is like a, like a magic trick, like a hmm. Houdini thing. Yeah. But Jesus was doing that on purpose, showing that I can control mm -hmm. the know the situation and the circumstances around everything and so i think that's really neat um just to even see the disciples see that uh, it was just really neat what i'm encouraged about is he paid his tax and he paid mine mm -hmm. me and thee so wow what a, what a blessing <laughs> that is well thank you for joining us today and we are very excited to uh, just look at matthew 17 and so hopefully you got something out of it as we have and we'll see you next time on the Devoted Podcast.